0: Choose your social networks wisely. Find out how on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Pay Kickstart, the backbone of my entire business. Get 30 free days with this cutting edge shopping cart when you go to servermastercom backslash pay kickstart today.
1: Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host.
0: Building on our previous episode where I talked about Overcome the Technology App, we talked a bit about social media. And today we're going to talk about another really common mistake and how you can avoid it. Social networks rise and fall certain things become really hot and then they disappear because someone else comes up with a cool innovation and then they change it usually goes through a process of what silicon valley likes to do in startups is that they first get a whole bunch of tr- traffic or people on board the platform to prove that people like the platform and then they do everything they can to monetize it that's phase two and the mistake they make can often be over monetizing when they put where they put on so many ads they put on so many ads that people stop using the website that's happened in myspace myspace went from almost no ads to About 60% of your profile page would be ads. And what happened? Everyone jumped ship and jumped to Facebook. Because Facebook used to not have a ton of ads. Now they do. Now they'll read what you're writing to your wife or your friends and put an ad in the middle of your conversation. And it's not just MySpace. I know that's one of my examples. How about Vine? There are people that became experts at Vine and had amazing channels. And Vine was, you could only do a seven second video. And what happened? I think it was Twitter at the bottom and then drove it into the ground within a few months. And Vine's gone. They had to close the doors. I have some friends that are really, really good at Periscope. I think Periscope's still around. I'm not sure. I've never used it. My kids really like TikTok. And you want to talk about something I don't understand? My son is 18 months old, and he is really good at TikTok. I don't get it. it happens. And this is because things are changing all the time. When I was in high school, I was really, really, really good at America Online. I dated a lot of people that I met through America Online all the way into college. So even in the early 2000s, I was meeting people... This was still before anyone had profile pictures, so believe me, there were a lot of surprises when you met, and I'm sure some of the people that met me were quite surprised too. They're hoping for someone a little bit more handsomer. Did my best. One of the things that can happen is that you become master of the wrong network. This is where you invest time, energy, and treasure. You might do everything I taught you the previous episode, which is where you master the training, you then get the best offer, and you hire the right person, and you put in all this effort only to discover that you're wasting your time. I'm the master of the wrong network. I'm really good at MySpace. I'm really good at AOL. I mean, I don't know. I haven't done either of them in like 20 years anymore, but I was really good at the time. That's the last time I was really good at a social network. In my late 20s, I was pretty good at Facebook, but this is before Facebook pages and stuff existed. This is just when you use Facebook to meet girls. At least that's what I was using it for. There was a time before I got married where a lot of times I would meet a girl and instead of giving me her phone number, she would give me her Facebook, and I had to figure that out. I was like, I better figure this Facebook thing out. First of all, I better fix that profile photo. That's killing it. There's all these things I had to learn. I had to learn, oh, if you want people who see your Facebook profile, and everyone stalks each other's Facebook profiles, don't deny it, if you're single, you know what I'm talking about. So if I had a bunch of pictures of me that looked lame from my nerd days, which I had a lot, then girls would see that and go, "Never mind." So I had to learn that process on Facebook. Now, I'm married, my wife uses Facebook all the time, I only use it for the Messenger app, which also didn't exist when I first started using Facebook. So you can master the wrong network or master the using network in the wrong way. This means you can be focused on a network that fades away, or that's not good for commercial enterprise. If your business is B2B, if you're in a business-to-business operation and your ideal customer or clients who people need to talk to are marketing executives or C-level executives, then you best be on LinkedIn. If you're not, you're on the wrong network. So to figure out the right network, we have a three-step process. Number one, who is your customer? This is so important. My customer has changed a few times. I've talked about in the avatar episode how to find your customer avatar and know who you're talking to so you know that process. This is the same principle that I teach in my networking course. So I wanna give you an example. Let's say you want to do the same job, but you wanna get yourself one level higher and jump to another company. So whatever you're doing right now, okay? Let's imagine you're a blue collar worker, you work in the factory floor. The only way you're gonna get off that floor is if the manager dies and you slide into that slot. You don't wanna wait for that. How can you get that position? Maybe there's five manager positions at your factory and there's a thousand people on the floor who all wanna move into management, right? Not a very good ratio for you. So unless one of those five people die, you don't have a chance. But if you can get access to 20 factories, now there's a 100 management jobs that you can start to vie for. So the process is, who is your customer? Well, that's the person who makes the hiring decision about managers. So you're not looking for a manager. You're looking for the person level above them. Now, this might be the head of HR. Depending upon how factories hire, I don't know enough about that. That's something outside of what I know. The only time I tried to get a job working in the factory industry, one of my friends got it. I tried to get a job working for a Japanese tool and dye company that sold tools and dyes to car manufacturers in Tennessee. My friend got the job over me. I was so disappointed. But the fate shined upon me, and now I have the right job. So your customer is not other managers. Your customer is the person who hires managers. So that's the first step in the process is figuring out who your target is. If your ideal customer is a 27-year-old attractive woman because you're selling the bikinis, which is something my wife does. So I've my mind. I don't sell bikinis. My wife has all these boxes of bikinis I've learned so much about that business because she's dabbled in that. It's nothing worse than having the bikini someone wants in the wrong size, which happens a lot more than you'd think. Oh, maybe you would. If you're a woman, you know that. I didn't know that. So I learned this whole lesson about stock and sizes and stuff. It's really hard. So knowing your ideal customers, my ideal customer is you. You're the person I want to hang out with the most. So I need to really understand you. And the way you can find this information is to go to websites that are similar to yours and look at their audience. You can go to Facebook groups and social networks and see who has a group of your ideal audience. Let's say you're a romance author. This still applies to you. Absolutely. Where do romance readers dwell? You go to each different platform and see which groups have the biggest following. So if you go to Facebook and you find the most popular romance readers group has 10,000 people. You go to Twitter, most popular romance readers group, Red or whatever has 100,000. Well, that means it's Twitter. That's how you can kind of find out without having to be too smart. I like to do stuff the simple way. So that's the easiest way to find out and say, oh, where are they already hanging out? And that's step number two. Where do they dwell? Step number two is to find out where your ideal customer spends their time. People who have similar jobs, as they go up, the way they hang out is different. When you're at the bottom level of a company you hang out with other people on your team. So when I was selling computers for Dell, I was on a team of 13 to 20 people between my different teams, and that's who I would hang out with together. We would have lunch together, we would arrive at work together. Eventually, I worked my way up, I was on a special team where I was allowed to work my own hours, so I was on an individual schedule, and that meant I would still hang out with people from my individual team. When you become a manager, you hang out with other managers from your company. You could be friends with other managers, and the great way to see this is in the military. If you look at a boat, or ship, or whatever the right term it is, the enlisted people can hang out with each other. Then the sergeants can be friends. Then the warrant officers hang out with each other, even if they're from different departments. But as you get towards the top, it gets lonelier. Who's the captain friends with? Usually, it's the doctor. I don't know if that's always true, but in every book I read, in every TV show, it's like the doctor or the science officer because they're not under their direct command. They're people that work for them, but they're not on the command track. Like you don't, you're not gonna let the doctor drive the boat, probably. So at the top, as you work higher and higher up, it gets lonelier, which means. CEOs hang out with other CEOs. That's true for me. I'm not friends with anyone who works for me. I wouldn't go to like a movie, I mean, they all live differently around the world, but that's not a relationship. I've learned, because I, I built one of my teams that way where I was really, I was like, oh, I'm friends with you, we're part of a family, yada, yada, and it really went poorly, I learned my lesson, I did it the wrong way. I care for my team, I pay my team before I pay myself every single week. All I think about, every time I, I run a campaign, and you can, maybe Paris will talk about this in one of our shared episodes. We have this conversation. Every time the money comes in every week, we have a really big campaign. Go, wow, that's salary for four weeks. The whole team is paid for the next four weeks. That's my first thought. And that's not me. I'm not, I don't have a good enough memory to fake that. That's really how I think. So I hang out with other business owners. I hang out with other leaders. Other people that are at the same level as me are my friends, either in person or online. If I go to a conference, that's who I'm going to hang out with. I don't hang out with other beginners. I hang out with people at my level or people that are 10% below or 10% above. There are some people who make 10 to 100 times more money than me, but we're parallel friends because we have the same job. I'm the leader of my team. They're the leader of theirs. So we kind of get each other. So that means whatever you're trying to do, you want to find out where they hang out. If you're trying to, if your ideal customer is someone who's into knitting or quilting, if, every time I name one of these, it's not just a random example. I had a friend who she was really good at quilting, which I didn't know. I didn't know quilting was a, you could get really good at it because I knew nothing about it. I'd never seen a quilt made by a person. I'd always seen ones made by a factory. So there's a whole thing there on my island. People hang out based on how good they are at surfing, which means my circle of friends is not good at surfing because I don't surf very much, mostly with my family. So I'm not in the cool surfer circle because that's not how I sell value. I love surfing. It's my hobby, but it's certainly not how you rank me, right? So it's not the most important thing. It's not how my kids rank me, if I could go out and get really good at searching by myself, or I could go paddleboarding my kids are on the board with me, guess which one they like more? So these scales and these way we assess ourselves drive us to hang out in different groups in different ways. So we want to find where does your customer hang out? We can look and go, well, where are the most popular quilting groups? This one might be Pinterest. There's a very good chance. Pinterest is another social networking platform I don't get. Now, my friend, here's an example of this. He's in the horror genre. He writes scary books, all of these about ghosts. His books are always about ghosts and there's certain rules about how you can kill a ghost in his universe. And it's 150 books in his universe. And if you like scary books, then you should definitely check them out. I'll post a link below. I have never read any of his books. Too scary for me. But he has a huge thing on Pinterest. A whole big following and a whole thing because people who like scary stuff, they like scary quotes. And he actually does, again, it's a little bit outside of what I understand, a lot of stuff with scary lighthouses. Like he has pictures and stories about all these different scary lighthouses from around the world. Usually those are short stories, but he has a Pinterest Page that's just pictures of haunted lighthouses. Boy, that's something I would not have known, except for my friend who runs a company. Same thing, you know. We do top level meetings, and he, he was telling me about that, and I said, "Wow," because he tested different networks, and that's where they spend a lot of time. He also has a really thriving Facebook group, so it can be multiple social networks. But you want to find out where people dwell. You want to see where are these people hanging out. What are they talking about? It might not be a social network. Sometimes it's a forum. Or some other environment so you want to look and see oh you know what it's actually a website that's only about this one thing like there's a forum for people that like to read romance books that's really popular it might be bigger than the social media networks so it may need to mean that the right place for you to build is actually within a forum but our third step in the process is once we know who we're trying to meet once we know where they spend time well then we want to go meet them there what this means this third part is the hardest part so first two parts of the process are making sure we join the right social network that's really steps one and two is find the right social network that you should invest time in. Step three is to invest time in it. And that means, first of all, you need to study the rules. There are a lot of hidden rules that you won't know until you're inside of a community. For the first time in years, I get to use my master's training in one of my podcast episodes. There's a thing called coding. You might call it uniform or a language, which is people within subgroups develop their own slang to keep people that aren't part of their group out. An example of this is when I was in college, I was a volunteer EMT on an ambulance, and we have our own complete language. Ambulance people can recognize other ambulance people. Part of that is it's not just about keeping the public out. It's actually something else. And this is something I only learned because I was part of this community. It's actually because the things you see are so horrible that your definition, your humor shifts. When I was on the ambulance, the jokes we would tell were so macabre. People who weren't ambulance people wouldn't get it. So we had our own language, we tell our own types of jokes because it was how we dealt with the stress of seeing horrible things. It's very hard to see a child hurt and not have it change you. I don't want to give you more details because I like to think about it too much, but you get in a certain zone. An example of this is I am horrified of needles and yet I'm on an ambulance. As soon as the sound goes on, the siren goes on, that fear disappears. I don't know why. I still hate getting shots, I still look away. I don't look when they're taking blood from me. I'm looking the other way, just praying for it to end when I'm on the ambulance, no, something changes within me. My language changes, my coding changes, and that's the same thing in any sub-community. Look at any group, people that like a particular type of music. They all have a certain language. Now, throughout my life, I've been members of many different social groups. In high school, I listened to punk music, so I knew the punk language. It would speak in a certain different way, and a certain way of communicating. Of course, part of it is like you want to be an individual, but at the same time, you're part of a massive group that all uses the same language. Um, When I was in high school, and I don't don't even know if this exists anymore, but there were tons of goths who were really into, like, dressing like vampires. And then there's two different types that I learned. Some people are really into vampires, and some people are like, no, I just like dressing like it's the 1400s. I hate vampires. So very complicated, but they would have their own languages within their group. In the same way, you want to study the rules, not just of the social network. So an example of this is when people violate a social norm, we reject them hard. One of the worst violations of this is in my Facebook group. Sometimes people join and the first thing they do is post an ad to one of their books and say, Hey, I've got a book for free. You can download it right here. I don't even do that in my Facebook group. They didn't study the rules. The rules are actually written at the top of the Facebook group. What do we do? Delete the post and ban them immediately. That's the punishment for violating social norms. It can happen on a forum. Sometimes the rules are spoken, like some of the forums I'm a member of, you can't send a personal message until you've got 10 posts, and you can't post a link or have a signature until you've got like 10 upvotes or things like that. So they have some automated structures, but most of the really important rules are unspoken. And how do you figure out what they are? You lurk a little bit. You spend some time in there paying attention to how people communicate, how people mention offerings, how commercial you can get. In some places... You can just post a list of, hey, here's all my products. In some places, that's totally forbidden. In most places, it's totally forbidden. But you need to learn the rules of that community. How do people communicate? Here's an example. Do people use their real names? You might create your username following the wrong convention because you didn't check first, and now you don't fit in. There are some communities where everyone uses a drawing and a fake name for their picture. And some communities where everyone uses their real name and their real picture, and there's a whole spectrum in between. There's also a whole process for the types of names you create. I've gone through different online usernames and handles throughout my career that fit into different areas. Once you've studied the rules, well, then you got to build the graphics. And that means you have to know the actual sizes. So whenever we're posting like an image to Facebook, it has to be a certain size, different size for Instagram and a different size for Pinterest. We have to learn all that stuff in a different structure. And if you're doing a Facebook ad, you're only allowed to have a certain amount of text on the image. All of those things are part of that process. And this is where we drop right into the previous episode where we go, wait a minute, Jonathan, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's why we talk about the tech gap first. I told you these... Episodes are in an intentional order, not a random order. So once you know where the people are, what the rules are, and what you need to provide, then it's about creating it. And creating it, you can either use software, or hire someone else to fill in the gap, or just do it the old, hard, old-fashioned hard, old way. Um, an example of this is this week. For a long time, my social media images have been made by my graphic design team, but it's quite expensive to have them do it. The way they work is I get about two tasks per day for a flat fee. And they could do something really complicated or really simple. It's not the complexity of the task, it's the number of tasks. So it makes sense for me to have them do really complicated tasks because they do an amazing job. Okay, They've done over a thousand designs for me. And I have a really good feel for what they can and can't do and what I can and can't get. So guess what? I want them doing the really complicated stuff. That means I had a meeting with my team and we're talking about different tools. And we found a tool that was on sale. I said, oh, I think this could be really cool. So I bought the tool. I said, hey, we got a 60-day trial I immediately had my video editor playing around with it and he did a great job. He created 10 images. I gave him feedback on all 10 and I'll continue to do that. And eventually he won't need feedback from me. He got more right than wrong. He actually, I was expecting one out of 10 to be acceptable and about six out of 10 were good. So that's great. I expect the first time someone does something, I expect them to fail because how else, how would they know? Cause it's so personal, the types of images I like and, and want, and he did a pretty good job and he's getting, getting to get better and better and better. So we've found a way to overcome that tech gap really quickly. And that's still how we do things. That's still how I do things. I still follow the exact same process that I'm teaching you. So as you're thinking about finding and growing your audience, it's critical that you follow these steps in order. If you don't know who your customer is and if you're not sure, then you can pull yourself back in the process. Because if you put in a ton of effort and you're on the wrong social network, well, then all you're going to hear is crickets. A more advanced iteration as you grow is get and get more sophisticated. You go, okay, this is where people hang out, but are they buyers or are they just readers? There's a difference. And that's a little bit more sophisticated, but I want you to see where the future is. You go, okay, I've built, I'm built. i looking to build a presence, but are these people who buy stuff or are they not? One of the things that I do, you'll notice when I give away stuff, I give away so much, I'm so passionate about extreme giving, is that after I give you a book, I'll often ask some questions. I'll say, oh, what's the last thing you bought online? And how much did it cost? I ask that because I want to find out or understand what kind of people they are. Sometimes... The answer is, I never buy anything online. I only take free stuff. That's fine. It's not a moral judgment. There's nothing wrong with those people. Except for if my list is only those people, then no one will ever buy anything from me and my family will get quite hungry because I'm not making any money. So while I expect a certain percentage of those, sometimes if I get traffic from one place, it's a 100%. I bought traffic from one place. Every single person took the free gift, unsubscribed, never heard from again. Not a great investment. Other places, so I kind of know the averages because I've been doing this a long time. I'm always looking to say, okay, I want more people that have at least Made a purchase online. The reason I invested so much of my career in mastering Amazon and pumping books into Amazon and getting customers to Amazon because I know at least they, I know if they bought my book at Amazon then they buy stuff online, even if they've never bought something from me or an individual website, at least they buy stuff online. And that's actually a huge up. If you have a list of 100 people who buy stuff online, it could be worth more than a list of 200 people who just took a free gift because there's a lot of people who've never made an online purchase. Who knew? How about this? I don't think I've ever made a purchase with my phone. Some people, in fact, most people who buy stuff from me, they will go to my website, see a sales video, or something. they go, I want that, and they enter their credit card or PayPal information on their phone. Wow, I'm not like that. If I see something on my phone, I go to the computer and go through that process. Told you guys I'm a dinosaur. I still do stuff in the old way. That's just my process. One final important lesson is to understand that you are not your customers. The things that I like are not the things that you like. My job is not to make products for Jonathan. My job is to make products, services, training episodes that help you. An example of this is that I don't listen to audiobooks. For some reason, audiobooks make me sleepy. It doesn't matter the topic. I tried to listen to The Gunslinger on audiobook, knocked me out. I tried to listen to an action series. I can't remember which action series it was, but it was one of the ones where I've read 20 books in the series and it's a lot of, it's a guy who travels from town to town, fighting and solving crimes and doing a lot of fighting. Knocked me out, couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I worked really hard to get a library card so I could download audiobooks, whole process that I talked about in a previous episode. And guess what? <laughs> it doesn't work on me. I listen to a lot of podcasts, though. So. Podcasts don't knock me out. I can't explain it why. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to make audiobooks. I know my audience really likes those. I know a lot of people. Actually, a surprisingly large percentage of the people who find me find me via audiobooks. So I put a lot of effort into that. That's important to me. I care about that a lot. So when you're thinking about these places, and I talk about social media, but I don't engage in social media. Just because I doesn't like it doesn't mean you don't like it. So I want to find where my customers are. I want to find out what they need, what they're looking for, and then I want to provide that as much as I can. This is how you grow. It's by understanding what people are looking for, and this can start to apply to other areas of your business. This is the same process we use when choosing articles for blog posts, for topics. We do massive amount of research to see what other articles exist on this topic, how long are those articles, what are the keywords they're targeting, what type of link structure do we need, what do we need to provide? we need to provide a list or images or videos? We do all of this research that all boils down to how people use search engines. When you go onto a search engine, you're asking a question. But like Jeopardy, you don't ask it in the form of a question. So I might type in Tampa dentist. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm really saying is I'm looking for a dentist near me and I'm in Tampa right now. So the real question is what we're thinking, but it's not what we type in. And so really, search engines are question and answer machine. The goal of a search engine is to give the best answer to the question, that the searcher's actually asking. This is why buyer and research keywords are different because they're a different mindset. If someone's doing a search on Craigslist, they're ready to buy something because Craigslist is a buying place. Same thing if they're buying on Amazon. If I'm on Amazon, I'm doing research, mostly I'm trying to read reviews because the, site, the websites that sell stuff where I live for delivery, the reviews are useless. <laughs> I saw a five-star review yesterday. I was looking at my wife at a product and it said, five stars. It came broken, never worked. Worst customer support, sent it back. That's a five-star review? What do they have to do for a one-star review? I couldn't believe it. So I go to Amazon, even though I can't order from Amazon where I live, to read the reviews. That means I'm in a buyer mindset. So that's a buyer search engine. So sometimes we're doing research, sometimes we're looking to buy something, and sometimes we're just looking for entertainment. And that means, again, knowing who my customer is, knowing where they hang out, which is when they're doing searches in a search engine, and then meeting them there, which means answering their question in the right way. So this process can apply... Every different area of your business. Why do I choose these podcast topics? There's research. I actually have a list. A couple of years ago, when my eyes got bad, I had made a list of 52 episodes. I said, I'm going to switch to weekly because of my eyes. I wrote down 52 episodes. They all have outlines, they're all cards on my Kanban board that my team translated into cards. Guess what? Not all of them get turned into episodes because what I thought and believed three years ago is not what I thought and believe now. About a third of them are getting recorded. In the original numbering, this is actually number 48 of 52. And yet, it's like recording 18, so that gives you a feeling. We want to continually follow this process. I've talked about the Ask Method from Ryan Levesque. That's a great book that goes back to the same thing. You want to find your audience and ask them the right questions to figure out what they want. This is just another iteration of the same process. My core principle, the centerpiece of server master is find out what people want and give it to them. That's my business model in a single sentence. It's that simple. And you can do that. And when you choose the right social networks, your audience will grow, your business will thrive, and you will make enough money to quit your job.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back next Tuesday with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you Tuesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Serve No
0: Master podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.